Wow, amen, amen. Hey, welcome uh, to Rockbridge. Welcome all six of our physical locations. I know there's a bunch of folks watching online, digitally. So, hey, my name is Matt. We're just delighted that you're here. I want you to know and believe that you're here for a reason, right? Hey, um, listen, before we jump into the Word of God, this weekend at all of our campuses, remind everybody about uh, Christmas Eve at Rockbridge in your campuses. If you're at a physical campus, there's, a, uh, there's some invite cards you can grab on your way out. All of, you can, all of us can go to rockbridge.cc slash Christmas. You can get some stuff that you can text out or share on uh, social media as well to let people know about the uh, awesome opportunity at, uh, at Christmas. Hey, we're uh, navigating really through a book of the Bible uh, called for, uh, uh, First Samuel, and, and we call it a search for a king as Israel has asked God for a king. And so we'll jump into that in just a second. But I want to talk about something that actually I was talking to someone uh, before we started this service. You know, Christmas ha- has a lot of idealistic connotations, right? And it's like a Norman Rockwell painting. You know, everybody's coming over, everybody's good, everybody's smiling. But really, uh, Christmas life is not like that, right? There are, there's nothing perfect in life, right? And Christmas can be a reminder that my life is not this ideal or something's missing from my life or things are not what I would hope for. And so Christmas can kind of actually be tough. And we forget something, though, about the first Christmas. The first Christmas was not perfect. The first Christmas Things did not go like the way you would envision, expect, or hope for them to go, right? Look, Jesus, after uh, she gave birth to her firstborn son, this is Mary, she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And you're like, God, you've been working for thousands of years for this and you couldn't make a hotel reservation, right? And so right then and there, it's like the Savior of the world is born in a feeding trough with animals, And and then if you look at Matthew's account, there's opposition to Jesus from this guy named Herod, right? He inquires of the wise men. He says, hey, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and had come to worship him. And then Herod heard this and he was deeply disturbed. And he will actually give an order to massacre all boys in the region under the age of two. That's the first Christmas. And and so listen, here's what I want to say to all of us, and then we're going to meet ourselves in God's Word. God's goodness and all that that entails will always face and be met with adversity and opposition. God's goodness for your life, God's will for your life, God's grace and mercy to your life is always going to be met, matched, with some degree of adversity and or outright opposition. And here's the key for us. Here's the key for us is to see that there are dangers in that, yes, which we will see. But there is also divine design in that because God is still on the throne and God still has a plan. In fact, if you go to the first Christmas, you know, we're sitting here like, man, it's just not good. The baby's born in a feeding trough. But that's exactly how the shepherds knew where to go. Right, And so God used something that wasn't good for a good. 
And that's the power of God. 1 Samuel chapter 21, we're back in the life of David, which will point us to the life of Christ. And we're going to see the good of God being opposed, right? So David is on the run because Saul is trying to take his life because David is now an existential threat to Saul's identity and his political power. And we're going to see what happens, the dangers of that, and the design of that, and meet ourselves in the story. So David... He, uh, he, we, we, Alfred talked last week about David and his friendship with, uh, with Jonathan, but he's on the run from Jonathan's father, King Saul, and he goes to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David because he knows he's being hunted. So he said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? And David answered the priest Ahimelech, the king gave me a mission, but he told me, don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I have ordered you to do. I have stationed my young men at a certain place. David now is lying. He is alone. He has no men with him. He is not on a mission from the king. He's trying to escape the king. So this king, right, this soon-to-be king, or not soon-to-be, but this king of God is suddenly lying to protect himself, and he has slipped. And so it's no longer the David who killed the giant with such amazing faith. It is now David on the run, and now David is lying because of opposition and adversity, because there is opposition to what God wants to do in his life, just like there was at the first Christmas, just like there is in people's lives here this weekend at, at, at Robert's Community Church. And so the danger we begin to see emerging is backsliding haven't used that term in a long time but it's an interruption right or a step backward in our spiritual growth okay and, and so listen God has good plans for everybody that's listening to me God has steadfast love for everybody that's listening to me whether we walk in that and receive that's another story but it will be opposed by Satan and Satan the enemy would love nothing more than for you to take one step forward and two steps back. He would love for nothing more than to you be than you just say, hey, back in my 20s, I was on fire for the Lord, but in my 30s, I have moved away. I have drifted. He would love nothing more for that to happen to our kids. He would love nothing more for that to happen in our marriages. And so it's a real danger. And we see David succumbing to that, and David is now backsliding. And it kind of gives us a scary thing because he doesn't know he's doing it. He's just trying to protect himself. But here's the scary thing. We can be in God's will and out of God's will at the same time. Right? He is in God's will in that he is moving in a preparatory path to be the king. He's out of God's will because his character does not look like a character of a man of God. You know, we can be, hey, I'm still married, right? Are you godly in your marriage? Right? I mean, you can just go on and on, right? Hey, God called me to do this kind of work and to be a teacher, to own my own business. Are you Christ-like in your work? So you can be in God's will and out of God's will at the same time, which is kind of what happens when you backslide. You know, people are like, hey, I'm in church. Are you becoming more like Jesus? We can be in God's will and out of God's will at the same time because, again, all the good God wants you to do in your life is going to be met with adversity and with opposition. So as we get underneath the backsliding of David... I'll give you four precursors to backsliding, that when these things, one or more of these things are present, there's danger of backsliding. And we see a little bit of these in David. Number one is <clears throat> spiritual isolation. Spiritual, I'm not saying you don't have friends that you talk to about, you talk to college football about. I'm talking about, you ha do you have friends that talk about your soul? Spiritual 
isolation. Self-focus. Eyes go off the Lord and our eye, it becomes, what about me? I'm always looking in the mirror. Me, me, my deal, right? We lose sight of God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over everything that happened in Jesus' birth. God is sovereign over things that happen and we lose sight. We think God's not in control or if he is in control, he's not, he's not in complete control or maybe he's not good because if I were in control, I would not allow these things to happen. We lose sight of God's sovereignty. And then, and you see this with David, temptations, we all have them, we all have them all the time, but temptations become serious options. The temptation David faced is the temptation to lie. And there's other things he'll do, we'll see it in a moment, but they become serious options. Some of us have been there, right? Things that you were raised and you knew they were wrong right? Things that maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't, but you knew you should never. And then suddenly, you know, five years down the road, six years down the road, whatever opposition, adversity, life happens, and suddenly you're considering things you never would have considered five years ago, five months ago, or maybe even five minutes ago. Those things start becoming, maybe I should. Maybe this is the best way. Maybe this is the only way. And we're on a path to backsliding and moving away from God's goodness because God's goodness is always met with opposition and adversity. So David has a conversation with Ahimelech, the priest. David's hungry. He's on the road. So he says, what do you have in hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. And the priest told him, there is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is the consecrated bread. This comes all the way out of the Mosaic law. It's called the show bread or the bread of presence in the temple, in, in the temple representing the presence and provision of God. He says, but the young men may eat of it only if they have kept themselves from women. David answered and said, well, I swear that women are being kept from us as always when I go out to battle. He's still lying because he's alone. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission. So, of course, their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest, Ahimelech, gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread except the show bread or the bread of presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When it cooled down and it was no longer fresh and warm, they would have to replace it. That's the bread David is fed. That's the bread David eats. Typically, only the priest would eat that, even though, but in this case, he gives this to David. And, and, and so and here, here's the cool thing. This is a grace God gives. E even though David's lying, even though David is backsliding, but there's a design here. Remember I said there's dangers and designs, right, up to the opposition and adversity. Here's what David is learning. He's learning to embrace the daily bread principle of God's provision. You know, we want God to work everything out for the next six months. Maybe God wants to give you enough grace to get you through the next moment and the next meal and the next day. And, and so when you go through opposite, so if you look at the story of Jesus in the first Christmas, God just gives enough information. He tells Joseph in a dream this. He tells Joseph how to escape the terror of King Herod, right? He guides, but it's moment by moment, minute by minute, and God's provision comes to us like that, daily bread provision. An interesting story comes out of the Army's Mountain Warfare School. It's in a documentary, and, and it's really one of the toughest schools that the military has, but it's mountain warfare, so it's cold, and it's, and it's, and it's like snow conditions. And so one of the tests of the school is these guys and soldiers are taken to the foot of this mountain in, in winter conditions, snow conditions. They have to climb the mountain carrying a heavy rucksack, and, and, and that's it. And, and, and a lot of guys fail, and a lot of guys quit. And so one of the instructors is, is getting the guys ready for this and you know, kind of expect him to give the big pregame speech and fire it up. And he goes, listen, 
If you want to quit, look at the top of the mountain. If you want to make it, look at the tree closest to you and get to that tree and then find the next tree and then get to that tree and soon enough, you'll get to the top of the mountain. See, I think a lot of us, you know, we face mountains. How am I going to get through this mountain? And God's like, the next tree. Just go to the next tree. Here's David on the run. His life is in shambles. God's plan for him is in doubt. And yet God provides through the priest one meal. God's still God. It's just daily bread. Are all David's problems solved? No. But he has enough grace to get to the next tree and the next tree and the next tree after that. Now, while all this is going down, there's kind of like a, a, a spy, a guy named Doeg, one of Saul's servants. He was, deta- he was detained before, before the Lord, and he was there that day. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, and he was one of Saul's uh, chief shepherds. And David says to Ahimelech, and this will come back later, so he's hearing all this, he's seeing all this. David says to Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or my weapon since the king's mission was urgent. We're still lying, and now we're looking for a weapon. The priests reply, and this is so insightful, he says to David, he goes, the only thing I have is the sword of Goliath. The Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it for yourself, then take it, for there isn't another one like it here, or another one here. And David says, there's none like it. Give it to me. Now, what's wrong with this? He's backsliding. He is allowing the opposition and adversity to move him away from God. What is wrong here? It's a common temptation. Here's a danger, right? The danger is when we want to start fighting with the same weapons as the enemy. The same weapons that, or we forget where our help comes from. Don't you remember in the fight with Goliath what David said? Here's what he said to the Philistine. He said, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies. Now what's David doing? Give me that sword, Goliath. What's happened to David? He's not dependent upon God. He's not standing strong in the Lord, right? The New Testament version would say this, right? Be strengthened by the Lord and by his mighty strength, vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. So what is David doing? He's fighting with the enemy's weapons. Is that not true for us? How many of us as Christ followers have fought with anger? How many of us have resorted to revenge? How many of us have got on social media and said some very unchristian things about people and resorted to slander? How many of us have said, you know what? I got to fight this battle the world's way, not the Lord's way. And we start to look less and less like Christians in Jesus and we start to look more and more like the world. David is God's guy. David is the man after God's own heart. But in this moment, David is looking less and less like the king God has ordained him and commissioned him to be. And he's looking a little bit more like Saul. And and we're not done yet. This is the anatomy. The beautiful thing is we're going to see David come out of this. But he's in this full-fledged backslide because the goodness of God is always met with adversity and opposition. And there's dangers and there's designs. Now, look what David does next. David fled from Saul's presence and went to the king 
Akish of Gath. Do you know who was from Gath? Our boy Goliath. And you're like, have you ever had a friend who did something so stupid and you're like, what are you thinking? Right? Your mom ever say that? Your dad ever say that? Right? We all need friends who will say that, right? They love us enough. So it's like, David, what are you? Why would you go to the hometown of Goliath? You killed him. Do you think the widows that lost their husbands that day of battle are going to come out and welcome you and take care of you and feed you? What are you thinking? Here's the danger we can put our hope in the wrong things. We can put our hope in the wrong thing. So David's fleeing Saul and just hoping he can go to the land of Goliath and be okay. That's the danger, right? That's the danger when we face opposition, when we face adversity, is we put our hope in the wrong things. Now, here's what happens when he gets there. He gets there, he's taken captive. And he starts faking like he's crazy. And so the king says, I want nothing to do with a crazy guy. Get him out of here. But while he's there, he seemingly, something spiritual happens. And we have two Psalms, Psalm 56 and Psalm 34, that are written while David is in Gath. Ah, so God can bring good out of my dumb? Some of you need to amen that right now, right? <laughs> you know? So God can bring something good out of my stupid, sinful stuff that I do. That's how God he is. That's how good our God is. That's how sovereign and amazing our God is. He doesn't violate our free will, but he can still use it to bring some good from it, right? And that begins to move from danger to design, all right? So what's, what, let's just get a snapshot. Look what he writes. When I am afraid, and we know he is, I will trust in you. Oh, that's repentance. Because what was he trusting in? His cleverness to lie and the sword of Goliath and his stupid decision of going to the hometown of the giant of the man he killed. But now, God, I'm trusting in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust I will not be afraid. Look what he says. What can mere mortals, what can people do to me? Ah, David's waking up, not physically spiritually you know we can sleep spiritually we can backslide and be out of touch with the goodness of God but David is coming out of that let's go to Psalm 34 he also wrote this during this time I sought the Lord key phrase never once in in the passages and the aspects of the story that we've read and looked at so far did David stop and pray never once he lied he ran, he asked for the sword of the Goliath. But finally, let me seek the Lord. And let me say this to some of us. There's some people here in the sound of my voice and if you're honest with yourself, you're backsliding. Now there's a voice telling you, you can't come back to God until you get your act back together. That is a lie from the pit of hell. David sought the Lord when he went stupid and ran to Gath. Do you know how far God, away, God is away from anybody in the sound of my voice? Do you know how far God, away is it? God is away from you? One step. Do you know who needs to take that step? You and me, not him. 
I sought the Lord, and look what God did. He answered me, and he rescued me from all of my fears. Those who look to him, remember what it was the precursor to a backslide. We look to self. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. He's writing this while he's on the run. His joy now is no longer tied to his circumstances. His joy is tied to his trust and his seeking of the Lord. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him from all his trouble. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. And we see here one of the designs God has in the opposition and adversity that accompanies his goodness. His design is that weakness which manifests in our heart as humility, leads to renewed dependence. Do you know that? that here, here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. If dependence is the objective, as it is, dependence upon God, then weakness is to our advantage. So anything that humbles us and weakens us can be a means to, for God to bless us through that position. So David becomes humble David becomes broken David becomes a worshiper again David seeks the Lord again so don't discredit that yes God wants to bless yes God wants to bring good but God the only position God can bless is that of humility and that's what we see emerging in Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 the story continues so David finally he leaves Gath because the king says I don't want anything to do with him and he took refuge in the in the cave of Adullam when David's brothers and his father's whole family heard, they went down and joined him there. In addition, every man who was desperate in debt or discontented rallied around him. Sounds like a precursor to the church, right? What's the church? A hospital for sinners, right? What's the church? A place of grace. What's the church? We call it a place of people, or people from all walks of life. David is pointing us to Jesus because what makes the church? Jesus. What draws us together? Jesus. Who comes to Jesus? People who are desperate and dead or discontent. So David starts having like a family, an extended family, uh, a following. They rallied around him. He became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mespah of Moab where he said to the king, please let my father and mother stay with you. He's taking care of his family now. It's a different David is emerging. He's coming out of the backslide. And he's moving forward in his faith. He says, look, now, until I know what God will do for me, I've got to seek the Lord. I've got to listen to God. I've got to lean in. So he left them in the care of the king of Moab, and they stayed with him the whole time. David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, he gives David a word. He says, don't stay in the stronghold. Leave and return to the land of Judah. So David left. So there's another design in the opposition and the adversity that accompanies God's goodness. The design is we move away from the question of the age. Our question this day, everybody asks it, what about me? We ask it of our political leaders, what are you going to do for me? We ask it of our relatives, what are you going to do for me? We ask it of our church, what are you going to do for me? And David moves to, what good can I do for others? He moves from self to serving. He moves from, I've got to run. I've got to hide, I've got to lie, I've got to manipulate. Now he's like, I've got people to bless. 
I've got people to bless. And, and then another design in this is he moves back to delighting in and getting direction from the word of God. He's like, I can't act. I can't move until I know what God says. It's like Psalm 119.24 says, your testimonies are my delight. They are also my counselors. The word of God is his counselors. And so here's the beautiful thing. The best place and the safest place to be is fully in the will of God. Position in life and the character and the condition of our soul. Now, let's pause for just a second. David, in some form or fashion, is always going to end up pointing us to Jesus Christ. He's a, he's a prototype of Christ. So we go all the way to, back to Luke's gospel, and we hear Mary being told what God has for her. And the angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. What we see in 1 Samuel is God preparing David to take this throne. And we see him developing a group of followers of people who were desperate, discontented, in despair. We see him moving away from what about me to what does God say and how can I bless others. In Jesus, what do we say? What do we hear? Jesus is tempted by Satan because all of God's goodness is met with opposition. And what does Jesus say? Man will not live on bread alone. Man will live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He is a man, uh, the God-man who follows the word of God. We see Jesus say on this rock, I will build my church. And Jesus' church is a people of who? Jesus' church is a people of religious, self-righteous people? No, Jesus' church is what? What was Jesus called? A friend of sinners. So what you're seeing in 1 Samuel, as David come out of the backslide and David begin to look more and more like Jesus. And so when the angel tells Mary this, as a devout Jew who has these scriptures that you and I are reading right now, he will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will have no end. You see, Mary's, all of Israel, because they know God has a plan. It's always met with opposition and adversity. But God has a plan. And we see David moving toward the destiny that God has for him. Now the story continues, right? Remember Doeg? Well, he tells Saul, hey, I know where David is. I know what David's been doing. And that priest down there, Ahimelech, he helped David. That priest down there, he gave David the sword of Goliath. So Saul goes and massacres Ahimelech, his family, and all the priests in the area. Now, I wrestle with that. We all wrestle with that. And I'm like, I, I'm literally praying this week, and I'm like, God, why is that in the story? Because David's come out of the backslide. David's kind of back on track. He's still on the run, but he's on the backslide. He's out of the backslide. And so I thought and I prayed and I went to some new... And the only thing that, that, that came up was this. 
evil is always at work. Until Jesus comes back and fully establishes that kingdom that will never end. Paul said it this way, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Listen, everybody's asking questions, right? What's going on in the world today? Whether we're talking about China and the Pacific, whether we're talking about Hamas and Israel and the Palestinian conflict, just this week, horrific, horrific stories of what the terrorists did to, to Jewish women. I, I, I read some of it. I had to stop reading. The mystery, inexplicable, lawlessness. It was at work in the first century. It was at work in 1,100 B.C. It was, it's been at work since Genesis 3. It's at work here today. God is good. God is sovereign. But it will always be met with adversity and opposition. And so in 1 Samuel... Yes, David comes out of his backslide and then Saul kills a bunch of innocent people. And, and so we need to understand something. Paul said it this way, we don't want Satan to outsmart us for we are familiar with his evil schemes. His evil never ever trumps God's goodness and we have to rest in that. And so a sliver of hope emerges from the massacre of the priest. One of the sons of Ahimelech, his name was Abathar. He escaped, and who does he go to? David. Who does God want us to run to? Jesus. David points to Jesus again. Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. David feels bad because he knew Doeg was there listening when he was back there. And he's like, oh, he, he, I knew that guy would do this. And I'm he feels responsible. But look what he does. He says, stay with me. Don't be afraid for the one who wants to take my life wants to take your life. You will be safe with me. What's Jesus' name? Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. In the evil, in the not goods, in the adversity. Now, we go to chapter 23. David hears a story, not a story, a report. He says, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kayla, Kayla, Kayla raiding the threshing floor. The old nemesis, the one David and Saul are really at war with. Shouldn't be at war with each other. They're at war with the Philistine. What does David do? He seeks the Lord. He's back on track. He says to God, he says, should I launch an attack against these Philistines? The Lord answered David, launch an attack against the Philistines. See, sometimes we need to be reminded of something. There's a danger. We can let our problems become our purpose. If you spend more time trying to fix, solve, manage your consequences or manage your problems, you're off mission. You're out of alignment. Here's David. Yes, there's a problem. Saul's out to get him. But he's like, no, my purpose is as I'm a military commander and we're supposed to fight the Philistines. And so he goes back to purpose. Listen, we all have problems. Your life goal is not to manage your problems. Your life goal is to be about the purpose of God, which are good and noble 
and why he puts you on this planet, sent his son to die for you, and puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. So we don't let our problems become our purpose. So David's in the wilderness of Zeph and Haresh when he saw that Saul had come to take his life. And we circle back to Jonathan, which Alfred talked about last week. Saul's son Jonathan came to David and Haresh and encouraged him in his faith in God. He has to continue running, and that takes us to the end of chapter 23. But there's a design that being strong in the faith is a community project. Being strong in the faith is a community project. And helping others come to faith is a community project as well. Let's not make our Christianity narcissistic. Let's not make our Christianity about me, myself, and I. Let's make our Christianity about each other. And who can we help be strong in the faith? Who can we help come to faith? And what better time of year than that than Christmas? David goes from all alone and all worried about himself to suddenly blessing, serving others, and being blessed and being served by his friend Jonathan. So here's, we're going to end our sermon a little differently. I want to end it with a time of intercession and a time of petition. I firmly believe there's people in your life, maybe you right now at this journey, a juncture of your life, there's people here today and you're being attacked. There's opposition. There's adversity. Probably all of us could tell a story or give an example. Yet we have clarity from the Word of God, and we see that clarity emerging in this story of how we can begin to stand in the gap and intercede for people. And listen, I want to give you three questions, three questions to help discern how to serve people, how to pray for people, whether it's yourself and your own soul or someone that you want to stand in the gap for here this weekend at Rockbridge Community Church. Three questions. These are three questions of spiritual warfare. These are three questions of how God might want to use you to stand in the gap for someone in your family, in your sphere of influence. These are three questions that we might ask and then pray for people that are represented by empty seats in our venues this weekend because these empty seats might represent someone who is fleeing and needs to flee to the Lord. Someone who is under attack, who doesn't know that God is good, who doesn't know Emmanuel. Three questions. <coughs> the first one is the diagnosis. What is the enemy's strategy against this person or place? He's a deceiver. He's a condemner. He's an accuser. He's a destroyer. We diagnose. What is God trying to do? What is the enemy trying to do? We make prognosis. What might God's better plan be for this person or this place? What's the better plan? You see David taking in his family. You see David taking care of his family. You see David taking in Ahimelech's son, Abathar, who's fleeing from the enemy, the satanic figure in the story, which is the mad, crazy King Saul. God has a better plan, and it's a more powerful plan than the enemy's. And then there's prescription. What can I do now, prayerfully and practically, to thwart David's plan, or Satan's plan, to thwart Satan's plan, and to serve God's better purposes for this person or this place. You know, in many ways, Rockbridge, listen, this is the mission of the church. 
Because who did Jesus say the gates of hell would not prevail against? The church. So we all know people. Some of you have met yourself in these three questions. But I want us to think about Christmas that's coming up. God's goodness entering the world, yet met with opposition and adversity. That's all of us here today, and that's people we know. Maybe one of the ways that you can help thwart the plan of Satan is to invest, invite, and bring someone to one of our Christmas Eve services with you to hear about Jesus and Emmanuel. Maybe it's for you and I to say, God, I've been backsliding, but I'm coming back. So whether you're praying right now for yourself or someone, would you bow your heads right now? And let's stand in the gap and let's recognize that what we're doing right now is one of the most powerful, important things we can do. God, we're coming in the name of Emmanuel. God, I think everybody here today has got a name of someone that is fleeing from your plan or your goodness or does not know that you are Emmanuel. God, maybe there's someone, and we know right now we want them with us in church on Christmas Eve to hear about Emmanuel. And we're going to place their name before you. We're going to ask you to intervene. God, we recognize we're part of your kingdom. We're a hospital for sinners. We're a refuge for the hurting. We're a people of grace and the goodness of God. May we reflect that into the community. God, there's people here that are interceding right now, and we need to pray for each other because some of us are in a backslide. God, may we see there is design. May we hear the dangers. And may people right now, by faith in their heart of hearts, just come back to you. Like David at Gath, a place he never should have been, but he sought you and he found you. May people right now, listening to me, seek you and by faith find you right now because you've never left. It's us that have moved. And God, we're standing in the gap and asking for people to come back to you or to come to you for the very first time. We recognize, God, Christmas is an incredible time of year. We also recognize the mystery of lawlessness is at work all around us. But we're people of the light. We're people of Emmanuel. We're the people who, who have found that, God, you are good. You are good. Use us, God, to thwart the enemy. Use us, God, to share and show the love of Jesus this Christmas season. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.